0: Um, I'm not returning yet to 1 Corinthians. Hey, wow, this is amazing. Two people we prayed for this morning, Beth and Penny, are here this morning. God is good. We're, we're so glad to see you both here this morning. Praise God for the work that He's been doing in both of your bodies and souls. And so we're, we're glad to fellowship with you this morning. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 14. This was a, I've been reading, rereading the Gospel of John and these verses in chapter 14 struck me afresh in the new and I just felt compelled to return to them before we return to the book of Corinthians. We've been focused as the flags remind us on the nations taking Christ to the nations spreading the glory of God and that needs to be a continued focus not just on one month out of the year but at the same time there are going to be things coming into your life that you may or may not be ready to face. Trouble. And we want to be able to respond to trouble in a way that honors and glorifies God. We also want to be able to receive the comfort that God offers us in Christ when that trouble comes. And so I hope that, that uh, this morning's message will encourage you towards that end. Read with me, please these precious words of our Savior from John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many places, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Father, we turn to your word this morning for the help that we some of us presently need for the help that we are going to need because life in this world will be difficult you have decreed it to be so and we want to honor you when the times are good and we want to honor you even more when the times are bad and not as we would like them to be and we know that that will be very difficult for us we like things easy we like things to go our way It is our nature. And so, remind us this morning of these wonderful words of your Savior and apply them to our hearts with the help of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. What is the Christian to do when he feels that his world has fallen apart? Now, After Hurricane Ian, there are thousands in Florida right now who no longer have a home to live in. Some are escaping, even right now, rising floodwaters. Some have no fresh water to drink. And of course, there are, are many who are grieving the loss of someone that they love, that they might not have even had a chance to say goodbye to. Right, Their world has fallen apart. And they are just the most recent reminder that we live in a fallen world where both good and bad things happen to everyone. In light of current events, let me ask you, how are you going to respond when the day of trouble comes? That's how the psalmist has called it, the day of trouble. And this is a real question that each of us need to take time to consider because if you haven't noticed yet, life Is full of trouble. And we can fill our lives with toys, and we can fill our lives with activities, and these things can, you know, they can do a fairly good job of distracting us, providing some measure of escape. But when the day of trouble comes, there is no escape. Trouble can come crashing into our lives at times from seemingly out of nowhere. And it can be disorienting how quickly a day went from normal and fine to extraordinary and tragic. Have you ever have you ever felt so sick that you you begin to wonder? It's like I don't know if I'm ever going to feel well again. I forgot what it's like to feel well. How long has it been? Four hours. Have you ever been so fearful in the night that you wondered if the morning was even going to come? See, trouble can be like that, too. It can come so suddenly and with such force as to overwhelm even the most faithful Christian, causing them to forget their many blessings and even question the goodness and sovereignty of God. Listen to the psalmist Asaph speak of a day of trouble that came upon him. You can follow along if you'd like or just hear the word. You can't miss what he's saying. Because this might be your own prayer at times. Psalm 77 My voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out with weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remembered God, then I am disturbed. And when I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? And don't, don't ever say that the Bible doesn't speak to where you are. If you have known great trouble in your life, then I'll bet you're struggling to hold back to you right now. Some of you are, are still trying to get your bearings from the trouble that has come upon you. And along with Asaph, you sometimes find yourself wondering, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promises come to an end? Only the person who has never encountered a dark night of the soul would say that this is the cry of the faithless. The wailing of those who, who don't really believe in God. Friends, a Christian's reaction to sudden trouble is not an adequate measure of their faith. If anything, the day of trouble is the time of faith. It is a time in which our faith must be connected and applied to our circumstances. And that, friends, takes time and it takes effort. Mental and spiritual effort. See, trouble is separate from faith. It doesn't come because you fail God. Trouble doesn't come because you've angered Him or disobeyed Him. Trouble comes, listen, trouble comes because God has decreed that life in this world and trouble are going to go hand in hand. And there was no one who understood this better than Job. Job did not mess around. He called it like he saw it. He says, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Now, is that cynicism? Perhaps. But is that true? Yes, it is. Ultimately, trouble comes, though, for one reason. Hey, listen again. Here's the reason why trouble comes God's glory. God's glory. God will be shown glorious as one who freely and graciously gives help to those who are overwhelmed by the trouble of life. Now, for those who have never trusted in Christ, if that's you this morning, you're here because you've been invited or you're here and you're not sure if you really know Christ and you're here to find out more, to hear more, you are, we're glad you're here. We have truth to share with you this morning. Listen, you can't turn to Christ like this. You've got the help you need. Here is what, the, here is the help that you need. This is where it begins. When you cast all your burdens upon him, and the most heaviest and the most needful of burdens for you to cast upon him is the burden of your sin. You are a sinner who has turned away from God. You have rebelled against him. You have tried to find other pastors than his to be fed in and to be warmed in and to find comfort in and it's empty it's a it's a wasteland. and you're here this morning because God in his grace might be drawing you to himself to show you that he has a green pasture and he can make you lie down and be refreshed but see that's where it's got to begin if you will trust in his sufficiency to save you this morning he will deliver you from your greatest of burdens and for those of you who already have trusted in Christ, God urges you to cast all your burdens upon Him. He cares for you. Trust in His sufficiency. Look to Him to deliver you. Don't tell Him how to deliver you. Look to Him to deliver you. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, "Cast, or excuse me, call upon Me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you. You will honor Me." See, here is why God allows the day of trouble to come. It's so that you will have the opportunity to see the goodness of your God and then loudly proclaim, at some point, at some point, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. You are great. You do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in the truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God. Can you say that in your trouble? I will give thanks to you. With all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. That's the end goal of your troubled Christian. You can say those words your desire that you be able to say those words when the day of trouble comes, then you truly do desire that your life would glorify the Lord. Now perhaps you're trying to say that right now. Remember I said there will come a time when you can say this. Maybe it's not yet. Oh, the Lord is patient. He, he's mindful of you, your dust, And as you struggle and ask God to help your unbelief, right? Whatever the case may be, there is only one way those words will ever come out of your heart and therefore out of your mouth. It doesn't come from having enough money. It doesn't come from having good health. It doesn't having good relationships or friends in high places. It only comes from having fully entrusted yourself to the care of your God who Paul calls the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. The trouble is not far off. God will bring it your way very soon, but do not fear. The day of trouble is actually an expression of His love for you and the preciousness of your faith in Him. In other words, it's for our good. And what I hope to show you this, this week, next week as well, is that regardless of what the circumstances are, when your heart is troubled, God's comfort is found by trusting in Christ. When your heart is troubled, God's comfort is found by trusting in Christ. And we can know this by seeing the comfort that Christ offers to his disciples in John 14. It's on the eve of his departure from them. And they were greatly troubled. They didn't understand why he said that he's going away. Or or what could happen that would cause them to somehow abandon him? And his answer to them is not to doubt, but to trust in him. And we must do the same when trouble comes. We must not doubt. We must trust in him for that is where God's comfort is going to be found. Maybe the trouble doesn't come in your life. Maybe it comes in your friend's life, your brother, your sister's life. And you need to be that source of encouragement for them to not doubt but to trust in God. So towards this goal, for those of us who have trouble, those of us for whom trouble is coming soon, for those of us who will know someone who who has trouble come in their life, I want to give you three things that you can work on. And I warn you, they are not easy. We first need to accept that God allows trouble in this life. We need to accept that God allows trouble in this life. We need to see, secondly, the connection between comfort and faith. We need to see the connection between comfort and faith. And then thirdly, receive the comfort Christ gives those who trust Him. Receive the comfort Christ gives those who trust Him. So we'll look at the first two this week, and then we'll finish off with the third one next week, which is actually going to take us more so into John chapter 14. In order to really, I think, they'll have a proper bearing on such, difficult, on such a difficult subject such as trials and troubles in life, <clears throat> I think it's best that we start by seeing the overall position of the Bible on the subject of trials and troubles. So from cover to cover, the Bible speaks about the common experience of trouble in this world. Closely associated with trouble, then, of course, is the anxiety and the, and the fear that it causes. The Bible is all about fear and anxieties. Have you noticed that? It has much to say about fear and anxiety. For example, did you know that the most commonly repeated command in the Bible is fear not? God can tell you that and mean it and command it even of you. Fear not. God is very concerned about whether or not you are afraid. So be encouraged, Christian. He has packed His Word to overflowing with resources and encouragement to help you with trouble and the anxiety and the fear that often comes with trouble. He has much help to offer you in His Word. Now, that being said, there's something that we need to accept about God in trouble. First, we must accept that God allows trouble in this life. Accept that God allows trouble in this life. We know this, first of all, because God shows us in his word that trouble is common to man. How do we know that God allows trouble in this life? Because trouble is common to man. The Bible speaks of it all the time. As a consequence of Adam's rebellion in the garden... Life for all mankind is filled with trouble and trials. Now, as we read, as we read the Bible, we see that much of those troubles are self-inflicted. Right? We bring trouble upon ourselves because we make selfish and unwise choices that are not in line with God's will. Isn't that surprising? You know, trouble comes our way when we ignore something that God says in his word, and then we lament and cry and we ask God to deliver us. That was the story of Israel. Over and over. And how graciously God delivered them over and over. Even though they went down the wrong road. God says, don't go down that road or there's trouble. And you go, we'll see. And then you wind up with trouble. And you cry out to God. You went down the wrong road. Welcome to trouble. But God is gracious still. He delivers over and over again. Now, while this is certainly trouble, right? The consequences of doing things against what God says. It is really more appropriate to call these consequences. Consequence. Galatians chapter 6, there Paul explains a principle that God has established in our world. Very basic principle. It's an agricultural principle, really, to which he applies then to ourselves spiritually. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. He says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the result of living your life as though God's will and His principles, I would add that too, and His principles are optional, that way of living life is going to be neither profitable nor enjoyable in the end. So that being said, this is not the context of the trouble that we're speaking of. We're not talking about self-inflicted sowing and reaping consequences. That's not the trouble I want to address this morning. There is a trouble that is not appropriately described as a consequence of sin. And God knows this And he knows the effect of this trouble on us, as so he speaks often on the subject in his word. He deals head on with the hardships that we face in life. So let's hear again from Job. He was no stranger to suffering, and we can definitely say that the trouble he faced was not a consequence of him choosing to ignore God and ignore God's will in his way. It was he who declared in Job 14, Man who is born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and he withers." Again, cynicism. <laughs> Can we fault him for a little bit of cynicism in his life at this point? True? Yeah, just served up cold and harsh, that's all. Not not really spoken with a whole lot of love and tenderness there, is it? Yep, yep, your life's going to be full of trouble and then you die. But you know, there's many people in this world who would say, you know, that's a pretty good summary of what life is like. You see, it was not just some difficult times that distorted Job's Job's view of the world. Jesus knew of the trouble that his people would face in this world too. And so he commanded them. And he said in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for its safety. Itself. Each day has enough what? Trouble of its own. So each day has trouble, just to varying degrees. You know, you wake up in the morning, you say hi to your special someone, and well, there's trouble right there. Notice I didn't say you say hi to her or anything. I didn't say that. I said hi to your... This is generic, isn't it? Because we each can be the, the Trouble right there. Gosh, I'm sorry for breathing. Sorry for waking up next to you. He said in John 16, in the world you have tribulation. Paul and Barnabas gave to the believers in Asia Minor an important perspective on life. In Acts 14, though through it will be through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, because trouble is common to man should it surprise us that trouble was also common to Jesus. Jesus knew trouble. Jesus knew trouble. And it wasn't some, you know, like trouble, in air quotes. It was trouble. It was real trouble. He often dealt, the scriptures tell us this, he often dealt with a troubled heart. One of the best ways that we can learn is by example, isn't it? And so Jesus, in his humanity, he taught us that a Troubled heart is part of being human. Any normal person would be troubled over the betrayal of a close friend. Ever happened to you? It happened to Jesus. And he gave us full display of how he felt about it. Just before Jesus announced Judas as his betrayer, John says that Jesus became troubled in spirit. Did he foreknow his betrayal? Yes but apparently that doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain of the betrayal. How would you feel at the prospect of being crucified? I know that's kind of an extreme question. You know there was a history channel presentation on crucifixion that I saw once. It said that the Romans they didn't invent the crucifixion. They perfected it. Your death on the cross was in most respects a factor of the cruelty of your executioner. Crucifixion was so frequent that many soldiers, they began to get bored. Same old, same old approach. And so they began to try different approaches that would inflict greater pain or keep you alive longer and thus prolong your agony. For the condemned, crucifixion was meant to first torture, then kill. And for the nations under Roman rule, crucifixion basically said this it said, Don't resist. Don't rebel. Don't disturb the Pax Romana. Or, or this will happen to you. And knowing this was the death before you uh, that was before you would trouble even if this was the death that was before you, it would trouble even the most stoutest heart. We should not expect anything different from Jesus, should we? Beyond, though, what we can ever understand is the spiritual death that Jesus knew awaited him. and this was likely an even greater reason for his trouble. He was to become sin for us, bringing upon himself the full and undiluted wrath of God the Father. And when... We read in John 12 when Jesus said that this hour had finally come. He said, now my soul has become troubled. Mark's Gospel, Peter remembers that in the garden, just before the soldiers came for him, Jesus, it says, he began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them. He fell to the ground. He began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Jesus knew trouble. And as we are reminded from our text this morning, the disciples also knew trouble. The last few days had been an emotional roller coaster. Think of the excitement that they must have felt as Jesus entered into Jerusalem surrounded by the cheers of those that were there to celebrate the Passover. And then immediately following that, Jesus announces his impending death. And now, at their own Passover meal, he announces that he's going to be leaving. What a crushing blow this must have been. And and we know these men as the apostles, right? But at the same time, can you see that there was likely very little difference? between their messianic hopes and those of every other Jew in Palestine. Suffering under Roman dominance, they saw the Messiah as a conquering king. And the freedom that Israel needed, was it was from the Romans, not, not their sin. There was no place in their theology or their politics For a crucified Messiah. A dead Messiah. Think of it from a personal point of view. These were men who had left everything to follow Jesus, their leader. And the thought of him leaving them is shattering. Was he forsaking them when they had forsaken all to follow him? Think about what else had happened while they were in the upper room, right? They'd they'd all been shamed by their refusal to wash each each other's feet, which prompted Jesus then to do what they refused to do. They were completely caught off guard by, by Jesus' announcement that then one of them is a traitor. Peter, right, their stalwart leader... He was seemingly the strongest, the boldest of them all. Was now being told by Jesus that he would deny Christ, not once, but three times before the morning came. I mean, their heads must have been spinning. And their trouble then was compounded even more by the sense that the Lord, their Lord, was troubled. And so when Jesus told them, do not let your hearts be troubled, he wasn't telling them to not let themselves become troubled. He was telling them to stop being troubled. He himself had been troubled, and he knew that the disciples had caused to feel troubled. And for him, they'd left family, they'd left home, they'd left occupation. What would they do once he was gone from them? Well, brothers and sisters, I hope you can see at this point that we need to view trouble honestly. We need to view trouble honestly. Did the disciples have cause to be troubled? Well, from their point of view, they did. And from this we learn that it's not wrong to honestly recognize, even to analyze, our own problems. And we, and we can add also that it's not wrong to recognize and openly acknowledge things that, that trouble others. Jesus did not rebuke these men for having little faith in this instance. Right? He did not rebuke them. He told them not to not continue being troubled. And then He was going to give them a number of reasons why they ought not to be troubled. We have good reasons not continue being troubled and telling them. I want to give them to you. And when people come to you with their problems, be careful. If you want to help them, come alongside them, be careful not to minimize their problems. You know, we often want to say, oh, your situation, it's not so bad. It could be much worse. Now, granted, that may be true. It may be even wise to kind of give such a perspective if you maybe determine that that that, that person would benefit from having that perspective. That may be the case. You know, we're often tempted to relate to circumstances that we have faced, that we are in, you know, I'm in some way, I'm familiar. It's similar to what you're going through. Well, let, let me recommend that you don't do this. Nothing is really gained by by minimizing the problems of others. Instead, it's often better to take the opportunity to listen to the person. Have them tell you what's troubling their soul. James gave good advice in this area by saying everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. You know, for all the for all the Ill advice the counselors of Job did, they did one thing right. Remember when they first showed up? They just sat there with you for seven days. They didn't even say a word. Your presence, your empathy, compassion may be enough just at first. You don't have to offer them that nugget of truth that's going to change their world around. As true as that nugget may be it, it probably won't impact yet. Paul reminds us that we need to be proficient. your tears may be more than even a scripture verse to them. More helpful. That's not minimizing the sufficiency of the word of God at all. It's understanding that we need each other. We don't need others to tell us things sometimes. We just need others to be there with us in our troubles. You know, if we travel now from the time of the disciples down through the ages of the church, we continue to see that trouble is the most one of the common experiences of life in this world, right? We're, we're, we're emphasizing this, that we need to accept this. And this is true not only of all men, of Jesus, of the disciples, the apostles, right? But it's even true of your heroes of the faith. Our heroes of the faith have known trouble too, 1 Corinthians 10.13, it reminds us that no temptation has seized you but that which is common to man. There is no new trial. There is no new temptation under this sun. It is also good to be reminded that men are greater in spiritual maturity than you and I are. Have struggled with this fondness. And a troubled soul. In a message on troubled souls, author and pastor C. J. Mahaney said this. He said, Quote, Would you be surprised to learn that those we rightly respect and revere in and throughout church history are familiar with this experience? Here's something that Charles Spurgeon, great British preacher from the Victorian era, said. Why, I tell you, young Christians, that the most experienced believers, the men who have great doctrinal knowledge and much experimental, which he means experiential, wisdom, the men who have lived very near to God and have had the most rapt and intimate fellowship with their Lord and Savior, are the very men who have their ebbs and their and Spurgeon himself was very familiar with those ebbs and those winter seasons of the soul. Uh, John Piper, in giving a biographical address about Charles Spurgeon, he noted his recurrent battles with depression. Here's what Piper wrote. He said, quote, It's not easy to imagine the omnicompetent, eloquent, brilliant, full-of-energy Spurgeon weeping like a baby for no reason that he could think of. In 1858, at age 24, it happened for the first time. He said this, this is now quoting Spurgeon, My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. And Spurgeon, as I think we all would, saw his depression as his worst feature. Despondency, he said, is not a virtue. I believe it is a vice. I am heartily ashamed of myself for falling into it. But I am sure there is no remedy for it like a holy faith in God. Spurgeon would also write this, quote, This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my ministry. The Charles Spurgeon was very familiar with a downcast, troubled soul. Well, so was Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was one of the great American preachers during the Great Awakening in the early part of the 18th century. And in his biography on Edwards, George Marsden wrote this. He said, quote, We know this, that Edwards also suffered from depression throughout his life. Even as he kept the disciplines of the faith, he was frequently afflicted by times of spiritual deadness. End quote. You have times of spiritual deadness. You're not alone. One of the greatest creatures of the, of the American Great Awakening had them too. You can also add to this list Martin Luther, the German monk who was a great spark for the Reformation in the 15th century, 14th and thir- 15th and 16th century. And one of the particular occasions when he was greatly discouraged, which this discouragement was not unusual apparently for Luther, he was forcefully reminded by his wife, Catherine She saw him unresponsive to any word of encouragement. Have you ever been there, spouses? Have you ever been like, "Hello, I'm 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 speaking to you"? And so Martin was not receiving any encouragement. And so Catherine, one morning, appeared dressed in black mourning clothes. She offered no word of explanation. And so Luther seeing her. He'd heard nothing, you know, of of any sort of bereavement. He he asks her, Catherine, why are you dressed in mourning black? Someone has died. Catherine. Died? Luther said. I- I've not heard of anyone dying. Whoever could have died. It seems God must have died. This is not the point. Friends, no one escapes trouble in this life. These men that we've just looked at were familiar with the experiences of the psalmist and the experience of Jesus and the experience of the disciples. And if this is your experience at present, or when it is your experience, sometime in the near future, these stories should be told. your soul is troubled, you are in good company. No one escapes trouble in this The good news, though, is that because of Christ, we have the blessing of being able to know the hope of God, the hope that He wants us to have, and we can know it from these stories in people's lives as well as from the scriptures. And we can know it in particular from. For example, the author of Psalm 77 or of Psalm 42. Right? Remember these words from Psalm 42? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God! See, both of these psalms show us men who are facing great trouble. Their souls are downcast, yet at the same time they're thirsty for God. They're passionately seeking for God. They long to experience communion with God. And yet their souls are downcast. They're in turmoil. They're troubled because it seems as if God has forgotten them. They're more aware of God's absence than they are of God's presence. And the result is a troubled and downcast soul. Life in this world means There is no escaping it. But life in Christ means true hope. It means deliverance in the midst of trouble. And so let's talk about our troubles, because since trouble is coming to man and no one escapes it, then it means that trouble is coming your way. Trouble is coming your way. Because it's common to man in this world, trouble is coming your way. Disappointment is a trouble. There are many disappointments in our lives. We are disappointed with ourselves. We are rarely what we want to be. We want to be strong, but we're weak. We want to be successful, but we experience failures. We want to be liked, but often people are at best just indifferent with us. We also are often disappointed with other people. It might be your husband. It might be your wife, your son, your daughter, your friend, your employer, your partner, your employee, whatever the case may be you are going to have a multitude of troubling disappointments in your life. Circumstances, too, are a source of trouble for us. In some cases, we can do something about our circumstances, and we will try to, but this is not always possible, is it? Poverty can't always be changed. Poverty is troubling, to say the least. The loss of a job, or sickness, or even uncertainty about the future, these are all troubling and you're going to face a multitude of troubling circumstances in your life. Now, what about the spiritual trouble when our experiences is like that of the psalmist, where the Lord's presence seems withdrawn and we're we're plunged into what seems like a spiritual black hole? What are we to do in such circumstances? Where are, where are we? What are we to do when our soul is in despair. Why are we are do we get into a fetal position? Lament that you are the one exception to God's promise not to forsake his people. We let's be honest, we choose to do that. The answer is that you are to purposefully. And by a deliberate effort of mind, strength, You are to strengthen your faith in God. You are to call to mind. This is the effort. You are to call to mind all that you know to be true of your Lord and so overcome trouble by reminding yourself of the power of God, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God. And then you get busy with the work of trusting God. No one ever said this will be easy. And this is why we need to be here, isn't it? Because when your day of trouble comes, you need to remind them of these things. When my day of trouble comes, you all better be reminding me of these things. You think just because, in your eyes, I know my Bible better than you, that I don't need to be reminded of what it says? I can read the verses just like you can. Believing them, that's difficult when trouble comes. Our text is calling us to become strong Christians. That's what this is. To sing the songs that we sing and consider if we mean them. We all understand that we are American Christians and we have it really good. We know that. Even in our worst days, we're far better off than most other believers in the world. But that doesn't change the fact that we need to believe what God says in His Word and trust Him when trouble comes. It's not about the degree of trouble. What do you do in your trouble? Does your faith grow? Or does it fall apart? Or maybe it falls apart first and then it begins to grow. Why? Because God has brought more trouble. He knows your faith needs to grow. It's weak. Anemic. We don't want to be the kind of Christian who weep and wail, expect everyone to pity them. But rather, we want to be the, the kind of Christian who is of great stature and faith. We're a source of strength to others, even in our troubles. Part of the reason why these men from the history of the church are great is because their actions and their writings, they still impact us today, right? Well, how do you think they got that deep insight into God's Word? Were they born with it? And you're thinking, man, I missed out. I got in the wrong line, apparently. These guys got abundance. How do you think they were protected from the kind of great fall that precedes, or the kind of great pride that precedes fall? How do you think God protected them from that? How did they maintain this greatness in terms of the the church's eyes down through history? God humbled them with trouble, with spiritual despondency. How do you think they were protected from the kind of things that we experience? How do you how do you think God used them so greatly? I want to be used like that. Well I would say to a significant to a significant degree, it was because he put great troubles in their lives. Deep troubles that caused them to seek him deeply. But friends, the day of trouble is the time to reach out for God. We need to remember Psalm 50 as I read earlier. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. See, when your day of trouble arrives, this is why God allowed it so that you would reach for Him. He would rescue you. You will honor Him. So how do you call on God? You call on God with your mind. You take every thought captive. You make it submit to God's truth. You let God's Word be the filter through which every thought passes that your mind wants permission to dwell upon. Can I dwell upon the thought that I'm forsaken of God? No! God says, I will not forsake you. See, that's the role that God's Word plays in your life. It's like it's like that filter that you filter things through and things get caught in there, can't go through. See, that's what all the lies that the devil wants you to believe. That's all the the ways that your fleshly mind wants to think. All those things should stop because your thoughts are being filtered through the Word of God. No, that's not true. It can feel like it's true, but it's not true. You let God's Word be that filter. If it is a trouble about tomorrow, you set it aside for tomorrow because today has enough trouble of its own. If it's a fear about provision, well, you measure the need, your need, against the resources of your Heavenly Father. And if it outweighs what God can provide, well, then you're free to worry about it. But if not, then you're to cast that care upon Him. And if it's a fear about your health, well, you remind yourself that life is not about health. It's about Christ. And when your health is gone and your life is over, you gain Christ. If it's a fear about pain, you remind yourself that God's grace will be The question is not, "Are you strong enough?" The question is, "God's grace truly sufficient?" Second, what does it mean to call upon? uh, What does it mean that He shall rescue you? For to call upon Him, what does it mean that He will rescue you? You know, we have, we all have our definitions of rescue, but only God knows the rescue that will lead to you honoring Him. Your job is to call on God for rescue leave the actual means of deliverance up to God. You may lose more money than you'd like. You may lose more friends than you'd like. You may lose a job you really like. You may lose your health. You may lose your home. You may lose a spouse. You may lose a child. But you can lose all those things and more. And God can still rescue you in such a way that you will praise him. How is that it's possible? Because he works in a capacity that is abundantly beyond what any of us here can conceive. Here is what God knows about himself, and so he tells us this, so that we wouldn't fear or worry, and we trust him in the day of trouble. He knows this about himself, and so he tells you. I'm able to, to do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. I do according to the power that works within me. So God knows this about himself. He's told us. The question is, is, do we know this? And when God shows us how true this is of him, you know what you're going to say? Gladly? To him be the That's what when the day of trouble comes, reach for God. Get yourself ready to honor Him because He will deliver you. It may take a while. It may feel dark. But don't let your heart be troubled. He will deliver you so that you will honor Him. Now, let me just speak this you. After the Lord tells them not to be troubled, He had the second command. Jesus, just as the disciples were to believe in God, Jesus then says, Believe also in Him. Now, we're going to look more at these verses next week. Um, And we're going to see three ways that we can be comforted in our trouble. We'll come back next week. But what is crucial is that you first accept that God allows trouble in this life. Okay, we've just covered that. If you can't accept this, troubles will continue to overwhelm you and they will continue to spiritually devastate you. But there is one more thing I want you to see before we close out. You need to see the connection between comfort and faith. There is a connection between comfort and faith. Something we need to see. Imagine if you actually took God at his Imagine if whatever God says, you say, that's it. I believe it. Picture yourself resting fully in every promise that He gives you in His Word. Picture that. See, if that was true of you, that you could do this, if you have the kind of rock-solid faith in God and His Word, guess what? You would still face trouble. How do we know this? Because Jesus faced trouble. Imagine, though, how different your experience of those troubles would be. Vastly different. You'd still have trouble, but they wouldn't devastate you. You might feel anxious, but in, but in, but instead of being overwhelmed by it, having a panic attack, you pray. You make your supplication to God because He tells you to. You cast your cares upon His sufficiency and then you rest in the peace that surpasses understanding. That's what He says He will give to you and do for you. That, friends, is the practical dimension of faith that we're striving for in our troubles. It's a faith that takes God at His word and it leaves our souls in a state of peace. And sometimes we actually do this to a certain extent and we're amazed. (laughs) Wow! Wow! God's word really is true. Other times, though, we're so filled with doubt and fear that we wonder, oh, no, "How can I doubt God?" See, both are going to be true to varying degrees in our lives. See, but God has a plan. And here's His plan. He'll keep bringing the trouble so that we can keep working on trusting. We're like, hey, is there a pill I could take instead? I'm right there with you, friend. But what we need to see is that God considers your faith in him that valuable, that honoring, that glorifying, that he will keep giving you these opportunities to trust that's what the troubles are for. That God would be honored. He would be honored by a faith that is in His Word and in His good care. Why? Because without faith it's impossible to believe. The one who comes to God meaning in faith must believe what? That he is. But what else? He's the rewarder. of those who seek him. God give you good things. And the things that he wants to give you will cause you to honor and glorify him. Let me conclude with reading to you an account of a young mother's troubles regarding their little boy named Spencer. This is what she and her fu- husband faced every day is their account. You wake up in the morning and you think, oh yeah, this is really happening. You get moving again and then before allowing terrorizing, negative or overwhelming thoughts develop, you quickly pray, you read, you begin to guard your heart and your mind. You tell yourselves truths. You focus on the very next step and you don't allow your mind to feel out all the different paths that could be in the future, whether good or bad. Only once you have armed yourself, you finally open the door to his room, and then you see him in He's buried by a room full of machines with 16 lines and tubes going into his body with another 15 attached to the outside, naked, and his chest cavity is open, he's swollen to the point where only his parents can really recognize him. Holy. There are many other things you notice when you first walk in and another million things after you stare for hours on end and I'd attach a picture but I like the one of him smiling much better. Besides, the reason I describe this isn't to put an ugly image in your mind but because it's the first thing we face when we walk in the door. The point is, What we see seems to be an obstacle to faith. Actually, more accurately, it is the environment for faith. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. That's the point. Things are not always as they seem. So you need to see your trouble, friends. Whatever it is, whatever it will be, not as an obstacle to faith but as the environment for faith. God allows trouble to grow your faith in Him, to give you the opportunity to glorify Him for the comfort that He alone gives. So when your heart is troubled, now or maybe even this week, let me tell you where God's comfort is found. It's found by trusting in Christ. We confess Free to Lord, that we are not able to believe this way. And then we ask in the same breath that you would help our unbelief. We all recognize the fearful thought in the back of our minds to say, Help us to grow in faith. We are, in a sense, saying, We invite you to bring trouble into our life. And none of us really want to say that. But I don't know that there's any other way it's going to happen. I'm not a prophet, but maybe you've brought this passage to my mind because trouble is coming for some of us, for all of us. And when that day comes, Lord, may we cry out for you to deliver us so that we will honor you. Amen.